the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They get it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Monday and Tuesday college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me as always is BJ Cunningham and Mike Calabrese. Gentlemen, how are you? BJ, how was your weekend? I wasn't too bad. It was an interesting weekend of college basketball, but man, do we have an unbelievable slate uh, coming up, not only tonight, but on Tuesday this week. Yeah, it's, uh, we're entering the prime of college basketball. It's very exciting. Mike, how are you and how was your weekend? And I assume you didn't wear a coat out anywhere. I did not. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, coats are completely superfluous this time of year. If you're not going outside for more than 30 seconds, I got a decent amount of DMs about that, but it was a good little offshoot because most of my Saturday was dealt just watching games either on TV or, you know, through the action app, just melting away from me. So I'm ready for some of that luck, you know, to, to balance out a little bit. This has been it's been a tough year for for teams not knowing how to close out games. Um, I'll get into it for my rants of the week. But holy moly, there's just a lot of teams I think are begging to get upset in the first weekend of March Madness because they just they really can't run offense other than just the run and gun three point style. And because of that, you're seeing teams in those timeout situations, foul, timeout, foul. Like they just, they lose their continuity. They lose the the mojo a little bit and it's been difficult to watch, but I think it's kind of an epidemic across college basketball. I also saw you tweeting about uh, college lacrosse. Uh, of course I got started there. I was like, well, my bad luck can't also extend to college lacrosse um, and taking what I thought was a nice play. College lacrosse kind of has some, some quirky scheduling, particularly at the beginning of the season. And Duke had a, a back-to-back. They're playing against a Vermont team that had just made the tournament the year before, really on the upswing of a program that's kind of fun to watch. And Vermont led 4-2 at halftime, getting five and a half goals. And they found a way to lose by nine goals in that game. So yeah, I'm just taking my lumps, but hopefully it'll all pay off uh, down the stretch run here at College Hoops. Yeah, uh, before we get into what we – one thing that we learned from the week, and then we'll, we'll talk a, a look for Monday or Tuesday, um, I guess we'll start with the of the week because I'll get into it. All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week. I don't care. if Every single dog that I bet can go to overtime and lose, I don't care anymore. Indiana State was the latest straw. I don't. I just don't care. If you can go to overtime and lose, I, I'll just write it off. But can we just not blow 20-point leads with 10 to go against teams that can't score? Colorado State was sickening, sickening. That just ruined my Friday night. It was the third 20-point lead I've blown in, in a week. I, I just they, they don't turn it over. They don't miss free throws. How do you blow a 12-point lead with two minutes to go? So I don't care about overtime. Go to overtime. I'll go 0-100 in overtime this year. But to me, just hold a 20-point lead with 10 to go. That was one of the worst, just off, most awful bets that I've ever had to watch and endure. I thought that there was zero chance that it was going to lose. So, yeah, 20-point leads. Can we at least hold on to them? BJ, anything you want to rant about? Yeah, Virginia Tech's in the graveyard for me. BJ, Virginia Tech is on your no-bet list? 
Yeah, on, on Saturday night against Pitt on the road. They were up 49 to 22 at half. And it was one of those bets that, you know, you kind of just you, you push off. And you don't really follow too much. You, you don't not, not saying I'm expecting it to necessarily win. But if it does come back and lose, then I don't want to witness it. And, you know, I was off doing something Saturday night. I, I saw they were up at half and I just put down my phone. Uh, I came back and I got the notification uh, from the Action Network app that Virginia Tech won by five. And so, of course, I had to go back and look actually how it happened. They basically missed every single free throw possible down the stretch and Pitt just ran down and hit threes. I mean, Virginia Tech was up 11 with a minute 20 left in the game, and they somehow couldn't cover six and a half. So, and what's funny is that these two teams are playing again on Monday night uh, in Blacksburg, and I have no interest. I've missed of, this. I didn't know that they were up 27 at the half. Yeah, they're up 49 22, and they actually scored right out of the half. Uh, the headline, because I went back and looked, uh, is. Virginia Tech builds 28-point lead to hold off Pitt 76-71. to 71. So uh, that wasn't fun. But then again, I can't really complain because I had a couple of miracle covers like Utah against Oregon was an absolute miracle uh, for them to only lose by three. So I can't complain too much, but Virginia Tech, this is like the third time that they've either gotten completely blown out or just blown one of these huge leads. So uh, graveyard for me. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I, I, got, I had no help. I didn't have too many poor ones, but um... – West Virginia was just painful to yeah, that was bad. go down. Uh, I had plus six, too. But, yeah, that brutal. Yeah, I mean, you're up 28 against Pitt. Like, yeah, like, should cover seven. Uh, Mike, what do you got for your rant? Yeah, so I had Oregon um, minus three, so that ended up being a push. But they're up 14 with five to go. And if you close your eyes and you say, all right, Oregon's going to shoot 13 for 26 from three, nine for 10 from the line, and they got that 14-point lead with five to go against Utah, arguably the worst shooting team in the Pac-12. You, you should win that 100% of the time. And I, I had to steal this um, sometimes on the, the, the Solid Verbal College Football podcast. They'll go through and they'll do drive charts for really bad offenses where it's like punt, 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 turnover and downs, interception. Here was the closeout for Oregon. Turnover, miss jumper, miss jumper, miss three, made three, miss jumper, turnover, turnover, two foul shots made, turnover, two foul shots made. So – that's how you get it done. It's not like Utah made every shot down the stretch, but incredibly frustrating, particularly for an Oregon team that I've been carrying water for them. Actually, you know, threw it on the Action Network uh, futures report that, you know, 100, 125 to one to win the national title. Why not? I'll take a flyer on that. They've been playing so well. And then they go and, and burn me like that. So the Ducks aren't dead to me. They're not in Virginia Tech territory, but that, that one, that one really stung. All right. Um, yeah, so it's uh, college basketball weekends, man. Hot, high volume. You can have some some absolutely brutal beats. But let's move on to the week. And actually, one thing that you learned from a team, um, a team that I might end up fading tonight, actually, was probably the most impressive of the week to me, and that's Kansas after just getting bludgeoned by Kentucky at home. They respond with a win without Agbaji uh, at Iowa State, and then they just dismantle Baylor. So uh, I thought that that said a lot about Kansas's potential. Um, it was a team that I thought was in the mix for a national title, and that kind of just confirmed it. Interesting game tonight with Texas, a team that swept Kansas last year. Um, so yeah, I was really impressed with Kansas in the week that was. Obviously, Kentucky Another really impressive win at Alabama. It helped that Alabama went like three of 30 from three, but uh, Kentucky continues to pile up the impressive wins. BJ, where are you going from something that you learned from the week? 
Yeah, obviously the Blue Buds uh, took over this weekend and really just uh, asserted themselves as you know still dominant in college basketball. But I'm going to go a little different from Sunday. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I've kind of just forgotten about how good Houston is. Obviously, they've had a couple uh, season-ending injuries, so everybody's kind of written them off. But they're dominating the AAC right now. They're on a 12-game th- winning streak. They went into Cincinnati on Sunday and just a really impressive, dominant performance in a hostile environment. Houston's one of these teams that they're obviously incredible defensively number one in college basketball in effective field goal percentage allowed and come March it's one of those teams I think also that people are just going to write off because they'll say oh they had the two injuries oh they had an easy schedule in the AAC because it wasn't that difficult this year but this is a really really good team and a really really good defense and a very very tough out uh, for somebody in the tournament so uh, I just caution everybody out there to keep an eye on Houston. They have a, probably their toughest test left on their schedule at SMU on Wednesday night. So that'll be interesting to see if they can follow up back-to-back big-time road wins in conference play. Yeah. Was, is this a team that could have like been a top five team easily with, with everyone healthy, could have won it all? They still look like they could make a deep run. Does, does it even matter who's healthy there? Like it's more, I feel like it's more of the system and obviously they have talented players, but um, you know that they're going to be relentless on the glass and uh, play extremely, extremely tough defense under Sampson. They're, they're obviously well coached. So yeah, it's, uh, they're going to be in the mix for sure. Not a fun team to play on a nightly basis. Mike, what do you, what do you got from a takeaway from the week? So one time was an aberration twice now for Auburn messing around with a cellar dweller in the SEC. They go six for 26 from long range against Georgia after going six for 28 against Mizzou. Jabari Smith now in those two games, four for 22, two for 10 from three point range. I have concerns of them playing down to their competition uh, down the stretch. And also when it comes to the tournament, I mean, obviously right now they're locked in for a number one seed. It's probably going to take, multiple stumbles for them to get knocked off of that one line. So it probably won't happen in the first weekend, but I have some serious concerns for a team that can be so dynamic. It just seems like when Jabari Smith has, has issues getting his game going on offensively, it permeates everything else that they're doing. I, I just am interested if you guys are worried at all about them and you know their potential to cut down the nets as the national title team, or even to make the final four with, these two performances in the last two weeks, this really raises some eyebrows for me. Yeah, I wish that Jabari Smith just had more of a killer instinct in a way. Like, just <laughs> he would go out there and want to, instead of like settling for threes, which he can make. I mean, he's one of the most versatile players in the country. He's shooting what over forty percent. He's seven foot. I mean, there's a reason why he might be the number one overall pick in the draft. But he's, I want him to go out there and just be like, I want to take over the game. Not I'm going to sit here and then I have a guy that's you know a foot smaller than me covering me i'm just gonna settle for this jumper over him um but yeah i was watching the game i had georgia and i was watching the game and auburn was up like 14 i was like nope i'm turning this off i'm gonna hope i'll turn i'll put it back on with like five to go and then i'll hope that there's like a, a good couple final minutes from the backups and then i keep seeing the score and i'm like what the hell is going on so i flipped it back on and yeah i mean that's a team the just the athletic and talent advantage in that game of Auburn over Georgia is massive. Um, so I agree. And then Bruce Pearl after the game is like, I think Auburn should have won that game. Georgia, you know, Georgia beat Alabama. That's that's a hell of a win. They got 20. They complain about the free throw. It's like you were 17 point favorite. You're number one team in the country. You should be like, we should have won that game by 30. Georgia deserved to win it and wake your team up. So I thought it was a, I know he was just trying to support his team. I thought it was a bizarre 
way to go about it at the end. Um, so yeah, I, I am, I am a bit concerned um, about Auburn uh, as far as, you know, maybe they, they're a team that could lose to an eight or nine in that second round for sure. Um, BJ, any thoughts on what you've seen from Auburn? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting coming down the stretch here. I just looked. Auburn's minus 1,000 to win the SDC. They're two games up on Kentucky, obviously, with the uh, head-to-head advantage. But they have some tricky dates, and one obviously here on Tuesday against Colin Wilson's uh, Arkansas, red-hot Arkansas Razorbacks in Bud Walton Arena. They also got to go on the road to Florida, Tennessee, and Mississippi State, all really tricky spots. Shooting regression is going to come for them a little bit. Obviously, they're still a really good you know, shooting team, but – I don't, I think they're shooting a little bit above their weight right now. If you look at the shot quality numbers. So I am a little concerned. I do think they might stumble a couple of dimes down the stretch. So maybe taking a flyer in Kentucky at plus 750 to win the SEC regular season might, uh, might not, might be worth a look. All right. Um, let's uh, move on to tonight and tomorrow. We'll start with, uh, you know, we each give a look of what, Again, that we're looking at for today and tomorrow, but we'll also just cover briefly the game of the night, and that's uh, Kansas against Texas. I mentioned that Kansas will travel to Texas here. I mentioned that Kansas was swept by Texas last year. Then they were, I think they were supposed to play in the Big 12 tournament but before COVID, um, canceled that game. Texas here, one and a half point home underdog. Uh, I could tell you that I took some Texas, even though I, you just got done saying how impressed I was with Kansas, but I make, I actually make Texas a one and a half point favorite. And I hate that I had to bet it um, because there's just something that seems off to me about Texas. But I do think that there's some things that they can do effectively well against Kansas. I think that their bigs can actually have some success at the rim for once. It's just, I mean, Mitchell disappears and I just, so, but I think they can actually have some success here. And I do think that there's some regression coming in the shooting department for Kansas. I mean, teams in the big 12, are just not making open looks. And overall, they're shooting 27% from three. Meanwhile, Texas is getting a lot of open looks during Big 12 play and not really connecting on them. So I think that could work on their favor. I think they're only shooting like 32% in Big 12 play. Home hype spot for Texas. They just need, they just desperately need one of these big wins. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't get it. I got, but I got plus one of plus one and a half, minus one of five. I make them a one and a half point favorite. I'm still teetering on just completely not believing in this team, but I did back them tonight. Mike, I'll go to you first. What do you see here of Kansas, Texas? I mean, I think you're, you're kind of dancing around the fact that it's just, it's like half of a team. So defensively they're doing everything possible, not only to be efficient, but also forcing teams into their style of play. So their last four wins, they held every opponent to 51 points or less. They're first in scoring defense, second in opponent assisted turnover ratio 10th in shooting efficiency defense. They're forcing 16 turnovers a game. That's all great. But you hit on it a little bit where it's like offensively, all of these pieces they were trying to put together through the portal, particularly as it relates to, to Marcus Carr, it just hasn't come together. So it's hard to get excited, despite the fact, you know, they knock off Iowa State, hold them to 14 for 49 from the field. Tennessee, it was a similar game, 19 for 53 for the balls. I think they can muck this up, make it ugly. And, uh, you know, Kansas, we've talked about at length really in the last month, this is going to come down to Jalen Wilson and McCormick, you know, what can they offer? And for that reason, I actually. That depends on the night with those two. Yeah, it absolutely depends on the night. You know, they can can go in either direction. I think I'm going to join you on this one. The the Longhorns, I think because of the spot, because of the desperation, they need it. I think they'll get an electric home atmosphere. 
and I know what they're going for in terms of game flow. So I think that they can move Kansas out of their comfort zone. And then it really just becomes a question of can Nabaji get it done all by himself? And I don't think he can. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the fact that like these, I don't really like these big, these quick turnaround games um, in for these marquee matchups, but you know, for, I think that it would, it has to benefit Texas in this case. I mean, they were home on Saturday and they blew out an opponent, Kansas, an emotional win, even though they blew out Baylor, but you know, they were at home. So now they're going on the road, less time to prepare rest. So I think that has to work in Texas's favor here. And I think Texas ultimately will control the tempo. Kansas wants to play a little faster, get out in transition. And Texas wants to grind the game to a halt, which I think they can more effectively do at home. Uh, BJ, what are you seeing here with Kansas, Texas? Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. The biggest thing for for Texas in this one is they have to be able to control the pace to their liking because Kansas top 7% in college basketball and transition offense while Texas third in the country in points per possession allowed in half court defense. So obviously Texas plays at a very, very slow pace. So bringing Kansas down to that pace is obviously going to benefit them. The question I have with Texas is, can they handle David McCormick inside? They haven't really played uh, a big man to his level since I think Gonzaga early in the season and Gonzaga shot close to 63% from inside the arc. So if in Texas is a good, def- good defensive rebounding team, but uh, obviously Kansas is number one in the big 12. Uh, I agree with you guys that the spot is really good for Texas. I think the shot quality numbers, uh, even though Kansas blew out Baylor, I'm pretty sure it was close to 50, 50, which is insane. I think that might be one of the biggest discrepancies of, of the season. I'm not sure I'd have to go back and look, but I agree with you. I'm probably going to uh, pass uh, on this one. Uh, I do agree. If I were to bet it, uh, I would bet Texas, but uh, yeah, the spot is too good for, for the Longhorns in Austin to, to get a big win. It's not, it might not be about Texas stopping McCormick. It's may, might be about McCormick stopping himself. That's sometimes <laughs> he just is, is not out there. Um, all right. So it seems like we have a consensus on either liking Texas, leaning towards Texas or would play Texas if you were going to play it. Um, all right. So let's move on to a spot that we like each uh, for tonight's card. Mike, I'll start with you. Anything you're targeting tonight? So Chattanooga is a team I watch a lot this year. Um, anyone who hasn't watched them, you're missing out on Malachi Smith, you know, Gene Baptiste. Together, they average 36 points per game out of their backcourt. Both of those guys shoot over 40% from three. But this is one of the rare spots on a total. I like over 138 here. We're just digging through some of the home away splits. This popped off the page to me. Mercer is one of the best mid-major teams in the country shooting at home. They shoot over 55%. And Chattanooga is a great team um, in terms of their shooting traveling with them. They shoot 52.3% on the road. That's 48th nationally. There's a lot to like in, in terms of motivation here. You know, Chattanooga has a half game lead on Furman in the SOCON. So they're going to be focused. And when you look at SOCON home games for Mercer, they average 142 points total. Chattanooga away games, 142. So when I saw that 138, I jumped on it quickly. I played up to 140. Last part here, what I really like in games where I'm looking for, you know, when it's close to that 70-70 prediction or 140 points, I should say, I'm looking for really good foul shooting. Both these teams are top 30 in foul shooting nationally. Uh, Chattanooga just at 77%. Mercer 77.3%. So I'm not going to overthink it here. This is a play I'm going to attack on to a lot of my other ones tonight as uh, not necessarily a free multiplier, but it's definitely the, the crux of my card. I'm building everything around this over 138. Do you care that, they, I mean, this is, a, this is an odd spot in that these two teams both, they played each other on Saturday. 
Um, Mercer, I believe, came back. They were down at the half, but they came back to win 77-68, which puts you at 145. But does does that factor into your handicap here? Do you like that more for the over-the-under, or do you think it just doesn't matter? I actually cared more about uh, DeSosa's availability. I haven't been able to find any any reason why he was out in that last game, but I think if he doesn't play, it gives Mercer a better chance to score, at least on the interior. He doesn't yep. give them that, that much offensively. He's got you know some explosive post moves, but he's just not as efficient as you'd like and really not chipping in in a significant way. So if he doesn't play, I actually view that as a plus here. Yep. BJ, what are you looking for tonight? Uh, I'm going to head down to the SWAC tonight. Uh, Alcorn oh, State SWAC. versus Mississippi Valley State. Uh, shout out Jerry Rice. I'm sure he's a loyal listener of the BBOC and has just been waiting for a Delta Devil reference here on the pod. So, uh, hey, Mississippi Valley State's not the worst team in the country by Ken Palm. They're third worst, but they actually haven't been that bad in conference play. They got blown out by Southern and Texas Southern. But every other game, they've held their opponents at least within 10 points. And if you look at the shot quality numbers, I think that they're the uh, unluckiest team in terms of the three-point percentage allowed versus what the shot quality three-point percentage is. So a little regression coming their way. Uh, Alcorn State takes you know one of the lowest three-point rates in the country. And typically, a lot of Mississippi Valley State games are just entirely played in transition while both these teams are bottom three in the SWAC in transition defense, but Mississippi Valley state, they're actually top three in in turnover percentage, both offensive and defense while Alcorn state turns it over at the third highest rate uh, in the SWAC. So getting 10 points at home for the Delta devils, I think is a a tad too high. So uh, give me Jerry Rice's Mississippi Valley state tonight. Mississippi Valley State. Wow, I did not expect you to go there, but yeah, they have they have been better in conference outside of those two blowups than I was expecting. Um, they've improved the my power ratings since the beginning of the year. They, they had a surprise win at Prairie View as well. Um, yeah, I can't and Alcorn State has one. only beaten one opponent by more than ten points this season. I can't so. bless this one, but yeah. I can't, if I was going to bet it, I have to bet it. Mike, would you would you get involved here? As someone who's bet Alcorn State three times this year and they failed to cover all three spreads, I can affirm that. They're not a team that's running away from the competition in the SWAC. And also, last year, I watched a Mississippi uh, Valley State game. The official attendance was 15, and the online attendance counter on Facebook Live was seven. So I was one of 22 people on earth who watched that game. That certainly was the worst team of all of college basketball last season. And I agree. I think they take a nice little step forward from totally atrocious to just really bad. So I think it's they a good win. play. I like that. Yeah. They win that year. I, uh, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Virginia and fade Duke. Um, it's kind of a whole generous spot, but if I can get 11 and a half, 12 with Virginia in conference, it, it, yeah, they're the slowest team in the country, obviously again, 358th in adjusted tempo 12 points in a Virginia game is still a lot now the defense is not as good they're 95th in adjusted efficiency usually this is the team's top 10 15 5 but just the number of possessions in their games it's it's going to be low and I think that their offense can have some success against this young Duke defense and Duke I just love this Duke team when they're able to get out and transition and run and I just don't think Virginia is going to let them do that that much and I mentioned their youth. It's like, all right, you have a big win against North Carolina. Friday, the quick turnaround to a Virginia game. Tony Bennett, the number one most profitable coach against the spread as a road conference underdog over the past 20 years. Huge sample size, too. And I think the reason for that is the way that Virginia plays, it, it, they travel, right? Like, it's at, 
and you're usually getting, I just think it, it, they take away some of the aspects that are built into home court advantage, right? So they don't turn the ball over. They play really slow. They don't let teams get out and transit kind of take away the crowd with how they play. So I don't think that home court advantage is as much. And sometimes you get a, you know, a much bigger swing in the point spread and, and just points in general. When you're getting a lot of points with Virginia, it's always a little appetizing. So I'm going to go with the who's. And then I also played some Montana. I think Montana, BJ, you mentioned the shot quality discrepancy. Take a look at Montana from uh, Saturday. They got blown out surprisingly by Idaho state. who's one of the worst teams in the country. They lost by 23. Um, so I, but I think the shot quality had them winning that game. I don't know if you have it in front of you. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but that's, you know, there's so many, like there was, I think, uh, a couple from Saturday that were just completely egregious. I'm pretty sure Duke UNC was pretty close to 50, 50 as well. Cause if, you know, if you remember at the beginning of the game, UNC had a ton of open shots and just could not hit anything. And obviously Duke ran away with it, but yeah, there were a ton of like crazy discrepancies from Saturday. Yeah. But I think there's a great spot for a Montana team that I think is, is pretty good. And they had a really tough loss at Weber on Thursday. And I think they had some of that hangover effect on Saturday at Idaho state. Now they come back home against a pretty good Southern Utah team, but I think they match up well against them. So I think it's a really good spot to back Montana after a horrid loss uh, against an Idaho state team. That's just terrible. And they, they, they've won basically every matchup over the past 10 years against, um, so, yeah, those are two looks for me. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on those or anything else you want to add? Uh, I'll make this one quick. I'm also on Florida A&M tonight against Prairie View. Uh, this, is an, this is an opportunity for the Rattlers. They've made the big dance since 07. They got some really nice scoring options. MJ um, Rudolph or Randolph is he's one of their best scorers in the entire league. And they just had a really weird game against Texas Southern where they couldn't throw it in the ocean in the second half. They missed a bunch of foul shots ended up losing going away in that one. So I think that's kind of baked into the line here. I think it's off by about three or four points. They're a game out behind Southern, even though they play in two different divisions in the SWAC, they give out the number one seed just based on overall conference record. So a game behind with about six or seven to go, this is must win territory for the Rattlers. So I really like them in the spot. Florida a and they never shoot threes every year. If you look back, they just don't shoot threes at all. Um, all right, let's, let's move on to tomorrow night. Um, and give a look each. BJ, I'll start with you. What's uh, on your radar for uh, another pretty appetizing slate? Yeah, there are obviously a ton of great games on Tuesday, but I'm going to kind of go not completely off the beaten path, not all the way to the SWAC, but I'm going to go to the A-10. Uh, Rhode Island on the road against VCU. Uh, Rhode Island's lost five straight games, including a really bad uh, home loss uh, this weekend to UMass. Uh, now they have to go to the Siegel Center, but Rhode Island is one of the more unlucky teams in the A-10, while VCU is the luckiest team in the conference, 14-7 and seven actual record, but has an 11-10 and 10 shot quality record. VCU, obviously an outstanding defense. I think they're still third uh, in defensive efficiency, but this is a decent matchup for Rhode Island. They're pretty good uh, press offense, top 20% in college basketball in points per possession per synergy. VCU, also the lowest three-point percentage uh, in the conference, or allowing the lowest three-point percentage of the conference. But Rhode Island doesn't take a whole lot of threes. In fact, around 42% of their shots come at the rim, and they're shooting around 62% on those shots. So a pretty good matchup for them. Also, uh, VCU allows the highest free throw rate uh, in the A-10. And the VCU offense, it's it's quite terrible. 
Uh, in fact, 310th in offensive efficiency. Terrible. Uh, a lot of their shots come from inside the arc. They're incredibly inefficient, only around 48% uh, from two-point range during conference play, while Rhode Island is 10th in the country in two-point field goal percentage allowed. Uh, and VCU turns the ball over at one of the highest rates uh, in the country, while Rhode Island is top 70 in turnover percentage on defense. Ken Palm has this at VCU minus five. I would obviously love Rhode Island at plus five, but uh, I'd play the, the Rams down to, to plus three and a half. The Ram, Ram on Ram crime. Um, yep. BJ, what are you looking at? I mean, so, sorry, Mike, what are you looking at for tomorrow? So this one, it's just going to come down to the number. I'm interested because these two teams are kind of headed in the opposite direction. You got Marquette in the last six weeks, a sweep of Nova, sweep of Seton Hall, win over Providence, win over Xavier. They're certainly doing it with turnovers, 14 turnovers per game. They can't rebound, which isn't a good look against UConn. This UConn team coming in, they can also turn you over a decent amount, 14 turnovers, force per game, 6.7 blocks, second nationally doing, you know, they're up to their old tricks, third in offensive rebounding percentage nationally, but they're averaging just 62 points per game across their last three. And that's only one win against two losses. That's a Paul performance. Also just, they looked off offensively. And I guess this is really kind of a gut check. Do you think that this is just them running cold for a little bit or have they run out of gas offensively and they were just, you know, playing above their heads because everything that I thought I knew about this UConn team is that they were going to be able to do it on the inside, both in terms of turning the ball over, turning shots away, getting rebounds, killing you on the offensive glass, but they were playing so much better even three weeks ago. So I'm going to go ahead and, and put my faith in the Huskies as long as I don't have to give more than three in this game. And really, I think in terms of the national rankings, based on where they are right now, it should almost be flipped. I think Marquette has certainly earned a higher national ranking than UConn. So I'm interested to hear your take on this because the Huskies are a team that if you asked me, you know, even 10 days ago, I would have said that they're probably a good look to get to the second weekend, but the way that they're playing, maybe it's just the nature of the Big East being a little bit deeper, maybe than we thought even two months ago, but it seems like they've just hit a, a, a rough patch and they're having real difficulty running their sets, getting anything going offensively. So I, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I think they're they're running a bit unlucky with three point shoot, defensive three point shooting. Um, they still have, you know, I, I think they match up well with Marquette. And this is just like a it, UConn's a really interesting case because I I look at them and I'm like, all right, they're 18. What are they? 18th in Ken Palm, and but they lost two in a row. They if they lose to Marquette, then you're at Xavier, at St. Jo- like all of a sudden you're on the bubble. Like they have that right. Auburn win and double overtime on a neutral court to, to kind of rely on um as a huge one because other than that it's like all right the um you had the win against what St. Bonnie's on a neutral doesn't look like shit now no one cares about that they did win at Marquette uh earlier this year so they're looking to sweep Marquette like this but they don't have a ton of like really impressive wins you know in the Big East play they beat Butler and so all of a sudden you lose like then you then you got Xavier and Villanova coming up and after the uh, a pretty rough stretch so this is like, a, we need to win this game. We've lost two straight. Marquette's like kind of fat and happy. They're off that sweeping Villanova last Wednesday. So, yeah, I think that's a really good spot. Would love to get three with UConn. Um, I think they'll be okay, ultimately. Um, I think it's a team that probably has a ceiling of the second weekend. Um, and they won't be easy to play because, I mean, it's, they can battle you on the boards and, and just stay in games and – um, they won't let you kind of run away. I don't think once they face some of these teams out of the big East, but 
Um, I think that's kind of their ceiling is probably the sweet 16 ish. Um, I'll throw one out there tomorrow and it's dependent on miles playing for TCU. Um, he was out and he, I mean, he's just obviously very massive for them and he didn't play on Saturday and they got blown out by Kansas state. This is a team with NCAA tournament potential, but they need to start getting some wins and that Kansas state home loss will not help. This is a revenge spot from a game where they were up the entire game at Oklahoma state and blew it in the final two minutes um, just that they gave up a 7-0 run, just an inexplicable o- Oklahoma State win. And Oklahoma State, this is a team that I still like to fade in bad spots, right? So they already beat TCU. They're coming off a win over the rival at home. They're going to TCU, you know, a couple of days later on on a Tuesday. They, they're, they're not eligible for the postseason. So, like, for these for some of these spots, you know, I, I, I just I, – I have confidence in fading them. So – It'll depend if Miles, uh, he had a wrist injury, so didn't play against Kansas State. So keep an eye on the Action Network app to see if I play there. But I think it's a good spot. I also had more, I also had UConn circled like you, Mike, depending on the line. Uh, BJ, any thoughts on any of those? Yeah, we talk about spots all the time. The UConn spot is about as good as it gets, uh, obviously coming off the bad loss to Villanova. Marquette, fourth luckiest team in college basketball per shot quality. Uh, you know, if you look at their defensive uh, efficiency numbers, it's on Ken Palm, they're around 26, but on shot quality, they're around 60. So they're due for some negative aggression when it comes to shooting. Uh, it's it's a team that's just running way too hot. And event, hopefully they'll come back down to earth. But I've also been saying that about Providence and they refuse uh, to stop coming yeah. back down to earth. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, it's it's an unbelievable spot uh, for Connecticut. Obviously, I'd love them at minus three, but you know, uh, depending on the number, I'll probably end up on the Huskies on Tuesday. But the best bet I made all weekend was not fading Providence on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't resist because, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that if, if Providence would have not covered or even lost to Georgetown, I would have felt so much worse yeah. Uh, yeah. not being on it than just losing. So I decided to just bite the bullet. And of course they went on a 16 0 run in the second half uh, to just put the game away. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, re- I was, like man, Georgetown's up at the half. I was like, don't, don't, don't let yeah. them lose this game. Um, but yeah, the Providence went on a run. Marquette, yeah, if you just watch them too, they made some, they make some crazy shots. There's, there's definitely some offensive progression coming. But um, all right, that'll do it for us. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Thanks as always to both BJ and Mike. We will be back. Well, not us three, but Big Bets on Campus will be back on Wednesday with the guys from the Three Man Weave, and then. BJ and myself will be back on Friday with the weekend betting preview. Colin will stop in. We'll probably have a guest. Good luck with your wagers this week. Make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app. And as always, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review. Gave away gear last week. We'll do it again here shortly. Five-star reviews really help us. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.